All right, everyone. It is Monday, December 19th, six days till Christmas, the first day of Hanukkah, 12 days till the new year. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. <laughs> I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and a little bit of math, Moshe. Yes, I was just I was trying to carry the two. <laughs> I think I have those days right. Either way, get your uh, gift shopping done quickly. That's all I know. Jill, beyond the numbers, uh, what we like to do on this podcast is read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Mosh, how's your weekend? It looks like a winter wonderland where you are. Yeah, we preempted the uh, blizzard in Vermont, uh, luckily. So we got some nice skiing in for the beginning of the season, about two feet up here in Stratton. So I've been enjoying that. And then we're indoors today. We're watching that amazing World Cup finale that we'll tell everyone about. Jill, how was your weekend? Definitely not as good as yours, Mosh. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're invited up here. You want to make the drive? I think it's about four and a half hours from where Uh, you are. It it sounds wonderful. Unfortunately, my daughter is sick. Basically, we've been waiting. You know, everybody has been sick. So many kids have been sick lately. And we're just kind of like, when is it going to hit our house? And it did this weekend. So um, I feel like I'm on borrowed time a little bit because she's been coughing and sneezing in my face <laughs> all weekend. But such is the life of a parent. Um, that's what's going on here. Well, I'm wishing everyone in your household a very speedy recovery. Jill, take your vitamin D. Moshe, it might be time for me to start taking those athletic greens that we've been talking about. I'll have them send you a uh, one-year supply immediately, Jill. All right. Um, Okay, now to the headlines. The mayor of El Paso issues a state of emergency because of an influx of immigrants expected at the border as a pandemic-era immigration rule is set to expire. The January 6th committee sets to recommend criminal charges today against former President Trump. Snow and bitter cold expected to hit the U.S. just in time for holiday travel. The British government relaxes security regulations at the country's airports. Is the U.S. next? And the air scare over Hawaii that left dozens injured. Meanwhile, police warning about a new crime trend called jugging. And Mosh, Argentina wins an epic World Cup final. Jill, even the most casual soccer observer, I think, could have found this game exciting. This is a sport, of course, known for zero-zero results. But uh, it was a pretty, pretty epic match on Sunday. Okay, Moshe, we'll get to that story a bit later in the podcast. Let's start, though, on the border, where a number of Texas cities are preparing for a surge of what they expect could be as many as 5,000 new migrants a day later this week. They're making plans for providing emergency housing, food, and other essentials. Temperatures also expected to fall below freezing in the region. On Saturday, the mayor of El Paso issued a state of emergency declaration allowing the Texas border city access to additional local and state resources for building shelters and other urgently needed aid. And it comes as pandemic era immigration restrictions expire this Wednesday. That public health rule called Title 42 went into effect in March of 2020, and it's been used to deter more than 2.5 million migrants, including asylum seekers, from crossing over the border in the last two and a half years. It was issued by the Trump administration in response to COVID as a way to stop the spread of disease. It's still in effect, but a federal appeals court on Friday denied an effort by more than a dozen Republican-led states to keep it going, ruling that the Biden administration can end it. Yeah, Jill, this will be the big story uh, to watch this week. Uh, Those states are appealing this case, by the way, to the Supreme Court. It's more than a dozen states with Republican attorneys general. The big question is whether the Supreme Court in the next 48 hours or so decides to take it up and freeze the end of Title 42. The challenge the Republicans have here is how to justify keeping Title 42, this COVID 
era restriction in place when it's technically a public health order, not an official immigration policy. With the pandemic over for all intents and purposes, uh, they kept it in force here, and the Republicans want to keep it uh, going even further as a convenient way to keep sending people back, even asylum seekers. And we have to abide by international law, which means you got to take in and process asylum seekers. But we used this order for the past two and a half years. The Biden administration actually enforced it much longer than many Democrats and activists would have liked because we have been seeing this massive surge of migrants from South America and Central America. Then the CDC ruled in the spring they no longer needed it from a public health perspective. That's when the Republican border states here jumped in to try to save it. So as the Supreme Court considers this, they could effectively say, guys, you got to keep it in order until we rule on it. That's sort of what Republicans are hoping. If they don't, the big fear is there could be a overwhelming surge beyond what we've already seen for the past year. Now, the Biden White House does insist they've been preparing for the end of Title 42. They've hired more border patrol staff, contractors, et cetera. But the big issue here is that asylum seekers, there's a whole process and it takes a while. Sometimes it could take years. So anyone who approaches the U.S border saying they have a credible fear of being persecuted back in their home countries, the U- they can stay in the U.S. until a final determination is made. And most back to Texas for a second, the region around El Paso has seen a sharp increase in the number of people trying to cross from Mexico in recent months, with 53,000 encounters recorded by border agents there in October alone. That is more than on any other section of the U.S.-Mexico border. There are thousands of people sleeping in the streets. Texas tried to bus more than 10,000 to northern cities like Chicago and New York, but it's still having a difficult time with the surge. Federal agents have recorded an all-time record number of encounters along the entire southern border, nearly 2.4 million in a year-long period. Yeah, and so that's just in the last year. And then, of course, there is this expected surge that could start on Wednesday if this rule lifts. Ultimately, Washington hasn't done much when it comes to immigration for a very long time. Uh, there were times in the past year, a uh, couple of years, where there was a feeling that certain Republicans were overplaying the crisis and then Democrats were underplaying the crisis. Certainly, that's been a fair criticism of the Biden White House. But now it has reached a new level. No one can really deny that this is a crisis at this point. So we need a short-term solution here. That's what the folks in El Paso uh, across the border are saying. You know, we we talked last week about what they were doing in Arizona, where they were putting the containers, creating a wall of containers on their border. In Texas, they're trying to bus people north and literally, you know, screaming, saying, we need help here. The streets of El Paso are full of migrants right now. So that's the short-term issue. Then there's the long-term issue. And people are asking, you know, why are we seeing the surge right now? Well, a variety of, there's a variety of factors here. But among other things, you have the end of COVID border restrictions that ended in the Central American region. You also have collapsing governments uh, and issues uh, in places in Central America, Venezuela, Haiti, Cuba, etc., that has now sent a surge beyond what we've ever seen before. So uh, clearly here, there needs to be um, some sort of solution. And I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm being optimistic here, both Republicans taking the House, a big issue for them, Democrats in the Senate, Biden wanting to win re-election. Maybe they come up with something. Yeah, I was watching Meet the Press on Sunday morning, and they put together this montage of lawmakers, liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans, and they all agreed that we are simply not ready for a post-Title 42 world. Whatever you think of Title 42, um, we're just, we we don't have a policy. We do not have an immigration policy. Right. You know, immigration advocates, uh, progressives for a while have been critical of it, saying you're not treating asylum seekers fairly. But the reason why Biden's kept this Trump rule in effect is because they know it's a, a useful tool to keep 
uh, sending people outside the country in a convenient way without having you know full hearings, etc. Now the CDC said we don't need it anymore. That has led to this whole issue. Um, but you know, ultimately, it's it's about creating a a more at least medium term fix, if not a long term fix. All right, let's get to something we're all watching out of Washington today. The House committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot will make its final public presentation at 1 p.m. Eastern during a live hearing. The committee calls it an attempted coup that warrants criminal prosecution from the Justice Department. So this is the news here. The committee is expected to make both criminal and civil referrals against the former president and his allies who, according to lawmakers, broke the law or committed ethical violations. Lawmakers have suggested that their recommended charges against Trump specifically could include conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress, and insurrection. The committee, by the way, has no power to prosecute. Their referrals are going to go to the Justice Department, which makes a final decision. That committee is composed of seven Democrats and two Republicans, and it is set to dissolve at the end of the year. Jill, as you mentioned, it's going to end up falling to federal prosecutors over the Justice Department on whether to bring charges here. But even though these recommendations from the committee are non-binding, the recommendations would add to political pressure on the Justice Department. This all comes as the Attorney General and the Justice Department have effectively punted this investigation sort of for now over to a special counsel, an independent special counsel, this guy Jack Smith. If you're ever on Truth Social, you see that uh, Trump is uh, mentioning him on a nearly daily basis. He is officially now conducting the investigation into both January 6th and uh, separately the uh, classified documents found in Mar-a-Lago. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, thought it was a bad look with Trump running in 2024. Now Biden likely running again for him to be doing the actual investigating since he is a Biden appointee. Ultimately, though, Smith interestingly, the special counsel will be making his own recommendations that will end up coming back to, you guessed it, Merrick Garland, the attorney general. So ultimately, the DOJ has a lot of pressure here coming from Congress and eventually potentially the special counsel on whether to prosecute Donald Trump, especially as we now get closer to a 2024 election. Back to today's final hearing. They've promised that at today's hearing, we will see a preview of their final report. The eight-chapter report will apparently include hundreds of pages of findings about the attack, the uh, highlights of a 1,000 witness interviews they've done. That's set to come out on Wednesday. And Moshe, while the committee here is making recommendations and putting out a report, there is a major legislative response to the January 6th insurrection that could be on the fast track to passage. The AP reports lawmakers are expected to overhaul the arcane election law from the late 1800s with vague wording about the electors that Trump tried to take advantage of and pressure Mike Pence on back on January 6th. What do we know about that bill? They've been back and forth on this, but it looks like it will go through now. They're set to make it a part of the year-end spending bill. This is a proposed overhaul of what's called the Electoral Count Act, uh, as you mentioned, it's from the late 1800s. And the bill, if passed, would amend that very poorly worded uh, law that governs how states and Congress certify electors and declare presidential election winners. It was written last second during uh, a uh, election back in the 1870s uh, that was had its own issues. Uh, President Rutherford Hayes, they called him Rutherford Hayes, came out of that. So they wrote, <laughs> so they wrote this law and never really looked at it. Uh, but the people who did look at it were the allies, the close allies of Donald Trump. And what they saw an opportunity to do was to convince Mike Pence to say, actually, you don't have to certify the results in your ceremonial role as VP on January 6th. Well, Mike Pence is like, yeah, I guess you could read the law that way, but that's not the way anyone has ever read it. 
So this is Congress stepping in here being like, guess what? We're not going to take any chances with the future. We want to ensure that the popular vote of every state, which then determines the electors of that state, is protected from any manipulation and Congress can't arbitrarily decide presidential elections. So that's ultimately what we'll probably see here. You're also telling us that President Trump wasn't the first president to come up with um, catchy nicknames or or mean nicknames (laughs) for his opponents. No, yeah, exactly. Critics Ruth of Rutherford. Fraud, I love it. Rutherford Hayes' <laughs> critics called him Rutherford. But honestly, to the beginning of the Republic, Jill, if you saw the nasty things Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, John Adams were all calling each other. Uh, but it's it's one thing I try to tell people all the time who are worried on Instagram, like, oh, my God, it just seems like this is the worst case scenario. I'm like, have you looked at what this country was like in the 1700s and 1800s? It was we weren't sure we, whether we were going to make it. Very good perspective, Mosh. Um, and <laughs> right up <laughs> yeah. your alley. On our next podcast, I'll tell you more about Chester Arthur. <laughs> Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there. Noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do. But you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. Okay, now to the speed read from Fox Weather. A major winter storm system is expected to strike much of the U.S. this week, days before Christmas. It's expected to snarl holiday travel as motorists and air travelers contend with heavy snow, powerful winds, and bitterly cold temperatures across several areas. This sprawling storm system coincides with the arrival of an Arctic air mass that will consume much of the country. Between Tuesday and Saturday, highs are expected to be way below normal for much of the country. In the plains and upper Midwest, temps could plummet into the negative teens from the Midwest to the Northeast. Temps are expected to fall into the single digits and teens. Even Florida and Texas are not expected to be spared. The northern Gulf Coast could see below freezing temperatures. Snow is something to watch here, Jill, as people uh, make their travel plans or seek to follow through with their travel plans to get to grandma's house for Christmas. Uh, Light to moderate snow will develop uh, on Wednesday across the northern Rockies. Uh, That will then head uh, south and east Wednesday night and reach the central plains and upper Midwest. Uh, That snow, uh, and it could get to some larger totals, will be accompanied by very strong winds from Kansas to Wisconsin. And you could see 40 to 50 mile per hour wind gusts midweek. This is the concern about travel, especially air travel, everywhere from Omaha to Chicago, Buffalo to D.C. So uh, watch your weather reports closely this week um, as you seek to you know, make, make sure your travel is safe uh, for the holiday. 
From NBC News, American tourists stranded in Machu Picchu as deadly unrest sweeps Peru. At least 300 international travelers, including some Americans, were stuck in and around the historic city of Machu Picchu as the government raced to secure transport to the nearest airport this weekend. Photos and eyewitness accounts suggest protesters had placed rocks on train tracks leading to the famous tourist attraction. Peru has plunged into a state of emergency following the ousting of the country's president, The former president was impeached and subsequently arrested earlier this month after announcing his plan to dissolve Congress. The unrest sparked by his arrest prompted international warnings about traveling to Peru. A new president has taken over, but protesters in support of the old president are engaged in violent demonstrations. The United States is in touch with American citizens who are stranded in Peru, according to a State Department spokesperson, but would not go into further details. So the U.S. Embassy in Peru put out a statement that the Peruvian government is organizing an evacuation of foreigners from the area, though some Americans are in interviews asking for an airlift out of the country. Uh, They're reaching out to members of Congress to help them. Jill, according to local officials there, there is a food shortage growing now in Machu Picchu uh, because their inability to access the rest of the country. Some of the tourists, by the way, say they're running out of medications. So it appears time is of the essence here. Staying with travel, this from the New York Times, the British government says new technology at its airports could let it substantially relax and speed up security checks within the next 18 months. So this would allow liquid containers of up to two liters in hand luggage and do away with the requirement to extract big electronics like laptops and tablets from carry-on bags. Some airports around the world have already started to introduce similar technology and have been scrapping those requirements. But experts say Britain was ahead of the game in making a countrywide announcement. All UK airports will have until June 2024 to upgrade their equipment and screening processes. The new screening equipment, which uses a type of X-ray technology, essentially provides a 3D image of the contents of a passenger's bag and makes use of what the government says are highly advanced threat detection algorithms. I don't know, Mosh. Talk to me when we don't have to take our shoes off at the airport. Do you not have TSA pre-clearance, Jill? Okay, so I do, but my husband doesn't. It's oh, like it's that a thing. is a necessary <laughs> holiday gift this season. <laughs> but Jill, it's funny you bring up the shoe rule because that dates back 21 years and this liquid rule dates back 16 years. So the liquid rule that we're focused on here with the Brits uh, was introduced back in 2006. That is after, actually at the time, British authorities foiled a terror plot to conduct a series of attacks on planes between the UK and the U.S. The plan at the time that they foiled was to use liquids in drinking bottles carried in hand luggage, combine them into cocktails, and then have them explode while the plane was over the ocean. So that was 16 years ago. That was Al-Qaeda. Everyone there was arrested, and most of Al-Qaeda has been depleted at this point. I should add, while we're talking about all these plots, the shoe rule comes from a plot 21 years ago this month in December of 01. There was a guy named Richard Reed. He was trying to blow up his shoe on a plane, hence the shoe rule. And Moj, you're also forgetting um, the underwear bomber, right? Wasn't somebody arrested who was trying to blow up his own underwear on one of the planes? Yeah, that was another plot. I mean, this was all in the aftermath of 9-11. Thankfully, no specific rules in regards to underwear that I remember. (laughs) What would they even do? I don't even ask. Don't even ask. So they have the liquid rule. They have the shoe rule. They've been in effect for a while. People are saying they got to be updated. There's got to be technological updates. So the Brits have come up with this new technology they're going to implement there. As for here in the U.S., 
Uh, apparently, the U.S. is slowly integrating advanced technology, but according to the TSA, it's expensive. It's going to take a while to install. We're a big country, so we're years away from changing that liquids rule. No word on the shoe rule. And Moshe comes as the TSA announced this week that they confiscated a record number of guns at checkpoints in 2022. TSA said it recovered 6,301 firearms from airport security checkpoints this year as of Friday. More than 88% of them were loaded. That number is a 10% increase from last year. The agency also announced that it's increased the maximum fine for firearm violations to $14,950. That is up $1,000 from the current fine which that apparently is not deterring them. <laughs> no <laughs> that one extra cares. Thousand, that, 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 that extra thousand from 13,000 to 14,000 bucks, you're like, oh, I should I should definitely not bring my loaded gun on a plane. I, I did know, Jill, that I didn't find the number surprising necessarily because if you look at the gun sales in this country the past couple of years, they've exploded. So inevitably, you know, there's probably a few more people accidentally, I'm going to say in this case, bringing their guns on planes just because there's so many more guns out there. And Jill, while we're on the topic of travel, there's one more story uh, that uh, crossed the wires late on Sunday. At least 36 people on a Hawaiian Airlines flight were injured, with 20 taken to the emergency room after their plane encountered severe turbulence on a flight from Phoenix to Honolulu on Sunday. So this really dramatic situation took place about 30 minutes before approach to Hawaii. 11 patients were in serious condition as of Sunday evening. Among those transported to the hospital was a 14-month-old child. The overall plane had about 300 people on it. Again, 36 were injured. But the injuries uh, included a serious head injury, lacerations, bruising, loss of consciousness in uh, a couple of cases. Some of the images you're seeing from inside the plane that I saw on Twitter and social media, major dents in overhead compartments. It's a good reminder, honestly, as many of us are traveling this week, keep your seatbelts on even when the light is not on. Okay, from Axios now, police are warning about a new crime trend called jugging. This is when criminals target distracted people and elderly. Police are warning about it from Alabama to California. Jugging involves thieves staking out unsuspecting victims at banks or retail stores before following and robbing them while they juggle smartphones and car keys in parking lots or at home. Juggers wait in those parking lots and watch for people, mainly those over the age of 65, to withdraw large sums of money from ATMs. Suspected juggers also walk malls and computer stores to scout for large purchases. The jugging can occur in a parking lot or after being followed home. So police departments across the country are warning about this, Jill. Uh, The Houston Police Department says they have 735 documented cases of jugging this year. It's already surpassed last year's numbers with about two months left for them to document. Out in California, in Burbank, uh, police there are reporting an uptick in Honolulu. Suspected juggers are apparently using getaway mopeds and bicycles after robberies. Police in Florida and Texas are warning about this as well. We were talking a bit before uh, recording the show about this. It is basically mugging. And I got this question from a few few people on Instagram. Like, wait, isn't this just mugging? Why have they given (laughs) a new name to this? But apparently, law enforcement because likes to we do this. won't pay attention, Bosch. <laughs> exactly, people don't pay attention when they're like, "Oh, yeah, of course I should be worried for pickpocketers or muggers or whatever." So in this case, when they come up with a new name like jugging, people are like, "Whoa, what's jugging? What should I be worried about?" And what they're trying to get at is this specific tactic of following people out of banks and stores. And again, it's targeting the elderly, so they're trying to, you know, 
bring attention to it, especially if you know older folks, you have them in your family, friends, or you yourself are of a certain age. Uh, they want people to be aware, especially this holiday season, as you know, people are making lots of purchases and taking cash out, etc. So there's a couple of tips here to keep yourself safe from jugging. First, don't have your headphones on in the parking lot. Try not to be distracted as you're walking uh, in a mall parking lot or from the bank. Take note of the people in the lobby or near the ATM if you're in a bank. Notice if cars are following you. Uh, some of this, again, as you mentioned, happens at home. Lock your car immediately when you get in your car in a parking lot. And if you have a large withdrawal from a bank, uh, for example, during normal hours, you can ask the bank if they can assist you or accompany you to the parking lot. From the AP, Elon Musk is asking Twitter users to decide if he should stay in charge of the social media platform with what else? A poll. It comes after acknowledging he made a mistake Sunday in launching new speech restrictions that banned mentions of rival social media websites. In another drastic policy change, Twitter had announced that users would no longer be able to link to Facebook and Instagram and other platforms that the company described as prohibited. The move generated so much immediate criticism, including from past defenders of Musk, that he promised not to make any more major policy changes without an online survey of users. He wrote, my apologies won't happen again. Um, and then he launched this new 12-hour poll asking if he should step down as head of Twitter. And he says, I will abide by the results of that poll. Most, do you think that he is secretly hoping that they say enough already and that he doesn't have to deal with being the CEO anymore? Yeah, well, I mean, there's also a difference here between owning the company and running the company. Uh, and the other companies that he owns, he runs. In this case, maybe he goes back to owning Twitter, but doesn't actually run it because, you know, he's running it day to day. He's making a lot of a lot of decisions, some of them pretty arbitrary, it appears. He's going back on some. He banned a bunch of journalists, he says, were doxing him and his location uh, on Thursday, only to then run an online poll on Friday in which people then voted to say, let them back on. And then he did. He then banned a couple other journalists with no warning on Saturday. By the way, that whole doxing thing is related to a Twitter account called Elon Jet, which for years was using publicly available information about his private jet travel, all private jet travel, uh, and just saying, you know, it appears Elon's flying from San Jose to Austin, from Austin to New York, etc. By the way, folks, all travel domestically uh, and most internationally is available on this website. So this account was merely doing that. Uh, Elon called it doxing. In the case of the journalists, they shared that this account was doing that. He said these journalists were then doxing him, uh, giving away his specific location, which they were not. They were just writing articles or, or mentioning this website. All this to say, you know, Musk has had a pretty tumultuous uh, month and a half or so running Twitter, making a lot of decisions, backtracking a number of decisions, uh, realizing that uh, the company is more indebted and has more serious business issues than he even suspected. It does speak to the fact that, by the way, remember he wanted to buy them, not buy them, then buy them again, then not buy them. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe he is hoping that, you know, America votes, the world votes, all Twitter users vote. And so he can stop having to deal with this day to day. With about six hours to go in the poll, the yeses are winning with about 11 million votes cast. One other thing I should mention, Jill, is that he has had major trouble at Tesla, his other company, uh, over the course of the past few months. Uh, a reminder that that company was worth over a trillion dollars last year. It's lost more than half of its value. Its stock is down more than 60%. A number of major shareholders in Tesla are now pushing for Elon to be removed as the boss over there. He's also taken out tens of billions of dollars of his Tesla stock this year, sold it off. So maybe he ends up using this as an excuse to not have to run Twitter day to day so he can go back and save the situation at Tesla. 
Okay, Jill, let's get the story. We mentioned at the top, the World Cup, this from CNN, Argentina wins the 2022 World Cup. It took 90 minutes of regulation, 30 minutes of extra time, and a penalty kick shootout to decide it. But Argentina is the 2022 World Cup champion. Going into the shootout, Jill, the two sides were tied 3-3 to after some truly epic moments of open play. Argentina began the game on a roll, getting two goals, including a goal by the player many consider the greatest in the world, Lionel Messi, the 35-year-old playing in his last World Cup. And they were leading, and it appeared until the 80th minute with about 10 minutes to go, that they were about to win. Then within two minutes, the French star Mbappe scores two goals, sending it to extra time. In the extra time, Messi scores, and then Mbappe scores again. He actually scored all three of France's goals. That then sent it to the rule in soccer is at the end of OT, the end of extra time, that if it's tied again, it goes to penalty kicks. Each team gets five kicks. And so it was a really dramatic way for Argentina to pull off this win. Uh, it is their first World Cup win since 1986. For the French, a major disappointment, but a reminder, they won the last World Cup back in 2018. Jill, CNN summed it up this way, quote, this World Cup final was a game that seemed to defy comprehension, conventions, and any attempt to describe it. It was, as the world seemed to settle on in an attempt to sum it all up, simply the greatest final ever. Uh, Jill, right now it's believed that billions, some estimate that three to four billion people watched the game on Sunday. That is essentially one out of two people on Earth. Half the Earth watched it. They claimed back in 2018 that 3.5 billion people watched the uh, World Cup finale. It's always hard to get these numbers, global ratings numbers for every country, but I wouldn't find those viewership numbers surprising. And Mosh, now we wait the Women's World Cup down in Australia and New Zealand in 2023. That is where the U.S. women will be going for their third straight World Cup. They won both in 2015 and 2019. As far as the men, that next World Cup is in 2026 and it's going to take place here at home with the games also taking place in Canada and Mexico. So 60 matches will be played in the U.S. The remaining 20 will be distributed between Mexico and Canada. And they'll be increasing the number of teams competing up from the current 32 to 48 teams participating, giving 16 more countries a chance at the big stage. And finally, from The Hollywood Reporter, James Cameron's Avatar sequel, The Way of Water, topped the domestic box office with an estimated $134 million opening. It is less than expected, but it's still a sizable number as the film heads into the biggest time of the year when it comes to movie going. Even rival studios think Avatar 2 will have robust legs over the holiday and into 2023, given how much time people are set to have off for the next couple of weeks. Although, Mosh, it is more than three hours long. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a deterrent for some people, Jill, uh, a three and a half hour film. Uh, though, for some people trying to get away from their family during the holidays, or maybe just spend time with their family where they don't have to talk to each other. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be maybe it'll be a place to go. Jill, I should mention that in addition to that domestic opening, uh, the film made more than $300 million overseas among the best showings of the pandemic era. It was impacted, though, by continued sort of lockdowns in China, the COVID outbreak out there. Uh, the film cost about $400 million to produce, making it one of the most expensive pictures in modern Hollywood history. And as we mentioned here last week, Cameron indicated it would need to gross $2 billion uh, to be considered a success. Which brings us to On This Day. Yeah, we actually, this is a James Cameron-themed, not officially sponsored by him, portion <laughs> of this podcast. Uh, Does he so know about this, the podcast? We should probably tell him. We should tell him, Joe, <laughs> though. We should let him know that we produce this podcast on a much lower budget than he's accustomed to for his films. Uh, like, uh, literally $2 billion less. Um, so keeping with the Cameron theme here, on this day in history, December 19th, 1997, 
The film Titanic opened, starring Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. So the film is 25 years old today, Jill. And it did go on to become the top-grossing movie of all time and a soundtrack that uh, we all are familiar with, Celine Dion's hit, My Heart Will Go On. All right, Moshe, you are bringing me back to high school. I think I saw that movie three times, maybe even more in the movie theater. And given that it's three hours, that's a lot of time. Um, I still, I I really still can't understand, though, why Kate Winslet's character, Rose, couldn't make a little bit of room for Leonardo DiCaprio on that raft. Come on. It's so funny you mentioned that, Jill, because literally 25 years later, people are still debating this. Apparently, uh, James Cameron spoke with the Toronto Sun newspaper last week. They asked him about it. Why, like, why wasn't there room for Jack? Uh, Cameron apparently tells them. (laughs) Cameron, Cameron's still being asked about this to his chagrin uh says we did a scientific study to put this thing to rest we uh used a hypothermia expert used two stunt people uh and there was no way that both of them could have survived only one could have survived apparently there's been an episode of Mythbusters about this at the same time though uh cameron apparently just copped the fact that it was an artistic decision it's like romeo and juliet he said it's a movie about love and sacrifice and mortality the love is measured by the sacrifice I still think they could have saved him, Moshe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when when we have the opportunity to have Cameron on this podcast, given we've devoted this much attention to his films, uh, Jill, we will make sure to engage him in that discussion. Jill, I have two more on this days for you. One from the politics world. 24 years ago today, President Bill Clinton, on December 19th, 1998, became the second president ever to be impeached by the U.S. House. It was two charges, if you recall, perjury and obstruction of justice, Uh, both related to his lying about the affair with intern Monica Lewinsky. Ultimately, like the first president ever impeached, Andrew Johnson back in the 1860s, and then Trump twice recently, uh, Clinton was not convicted by the Senate. So we've had three presidents impeached, four impeachments because Trump was impeached twice. None were actually removed from the office. So that's our political on this day. And then I have one more on this day for you uh, just because of the time of the season. This one takes us a little further back. On this day, 179 years ago, on December 19th, 1843, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens was first published, where we would first meet Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, and he was visited by the three ghosts. That all came out. He wrote about that and published it uh, this week in 1843. You know, I didn't know what you were going to say when you started out with, on this day, 179 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It could be anything. It could really be anything. (laughs) Um, Moshe, you always keep it interesting. We do want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us as well in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Yeah, we appreciate all those reviews. They do make a difference and help us uh, continue uh, to grow the podcast, make people aware of it. So if you take a moment uh, this holiday season, this week, to uh, review us, we'd be so grateful. Also, don't forget to uh, follow us over on Instagram at the Mo News Instagram account at M-O-S-H-E-H, where we're following all these events 24-7, including today, all day, the Elon Musk saga, part 1047. (laughs) All right, bye, everyone. See you tomorrow.